I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is Sports Psychology Today, produced in partnership with The Washington Times. For more episodes of our show, go to thewashingtontimes.com, and for more information on our podcast or to advertise with us, go to winnersunlimited.com or email us at drj at winnersunlimited.com. You know, the world of sports every week has interesting stories that we talk about. We expose and, and discuss things on this show about things about sportsmanship, winning and losing, success and failure. And one of the things that seems to happen quite frequently in the world of sports, there are stories about athletes, teams, individuals who will skirt the rules, who cheat. Why do people cheat? Why do teams cheat? Where does that come from? As a sports psychologist with 36 years of experience working in Kansas City and with athletes around the country, I've had the privilege to work with professional athletes, the Olympic team, collegiate athletes, high school athletes, and athletes at youth levels. And what I find is that it doesn't matter what level, there's always someone who wants to skirt the rules, someone who wants to go against the rules and cheat. They will find ways to do things that are illegal to get that edge. Well, why do people do it? I believe very deeply, very strongly, that it is a confidence issue and it's something that they were taught growing up, you have to do this or you won't win. Yes, it's against the rules, but if you don't do it, you won't win. And if you don't win, you won't succeed. If you don't succeed, you won't get anywhere. So break the rules, just don't let anybody know. Whether it's blood doping, whether it's doping with, with drugs, whether it's doing things that you shouldn't do. We've had so many issues come up in the last several years at the collegiate, professional, Olympic level in sports where cheaters have been exposed. Athletes who've been using illegal drugs, athletes who've been using steroids, athletes who've been doing things they shouldn't be doing. You hear stories at the youth sport level of, of athletes playing on teams when they're older than, they're, than they say they are. They get exposed by looking at their birth certificates. You have coaches who do things against the rules, bringing kids on their team who, who shouldn't be on the team. It happens. It happened at the Little League World Series. It happens at youth sports competitions at all kinds of levels, at the high school level, at the collegiate level. Why? I think a lot of it has to do with insecurity and a lack of confidence in who you are, that you're not good enough being who you are. Today we're going to be talking with Roger Pelkey. He's the head of the Sports Governance Center at the University of Colorado, and he's co-authored seven books. And one of the books, The Edge, The War Against Cheating and Corruption in the Cutthroat World of Elite Sports, will address this topic this morning. And now we're going to talk to Roger Pelkey, Jr. He's the head of the Sports Governance Center at the University of Colorado, and he's authored seven books. And the book that interests me here is called The Edge, The War Against Cheating and Corruption in the Cutthroat World of Elite Sports. Roger, thank you for joining me this morning. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, my pleasure. So tell us about your book here. I, I love the title, The War Against Cheating and Corruption in the Cutthroat World of Elite Sports. I find cheating is at all levels of sport, whether it's youth sports all the way to the professional and Olympic level. It happens everywhere, and I've got a philosophy on it. I want to talk to you about it, but tell us about your book. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the book is, is an effort to try to make sense of uh, everything that's going on in the crazy world of sports these days, everything from the, the FIFA scandal to the NCAA uh, routinely being investigated to doping in sport. Um, and I, I argue there's a common set of themes uh, underlying all these issues, um, and it's that athletes do uh, and administrators want to get an edge, uh, and the edge means uh, that little bit that will push them over the top, uh, maybe to go from – third place to first place uh, because the rewards in sport are so great these days there's nothing wrong in wanting to go over the edge but doing it within the rules is the whole key thing what i find and you know it's interesting it could be a golf match it could be a tennis match it can be a soccer game whatever 
I hear about cheating all the time. I hear about so- youth soccer games where player coaches will have players who are older than they're supposed to be playing on their team. You know, they'll even have fake birth certificates sometimes. You, you know, in golf matches, we always see people cheating, you know, moving their ball, giving themselves a better lie. Tennis people will call shots out that are in. Cheating happens all the time. What's What do you think the main reason people cheat is from your perspective? Well, in elite sport, I think the, the answer is, is fairly obvious. Um, it's an economic incentive structure that um, you can go from uh, almost the world's best to the world's best, and the, the economic rewards are, are enormous. Um, I talk about Tiger Woods and uh, his success when he was the top golfer in the world. Uh, he was only a, you know, a fraction of a, of a stroke better over many years than, than a lot of golfers who didn't have that, that success. So the difference between um, being a, 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 a great athlete and being a world-famous uh, multimillionaire uh, is measured in hundredths of seconds, fractions of strokes. Um, so the incentives are really, really profound at that level. But in the end, let me ask this question, because I, I, I have a, a belief that it's a confidence issue. It's an internal self-esteem issue. And I, I, I get what you're saying. You're right. It, it's The money plays a huge role here. The fame plays a huge role. And finding whatever competitive edge you can have is going to help you possibly to finish higher in your in your sport, you know, make more money, whatever it might be. But if you're doing it illegally, if you're doing it against the rules, isn't there a really good chance in the end you're going to get caught? I mean, let's take Lance Armstrong. You know, for years, obviously a great cyclist. In and Forget the, the doping. He was a great cyclist. I met him. I was the United States Olympic team sports psychologist in the 80s. And I remember meeting Lance Armstrong at a training camp we had in 1988 down in Austin, Texas. And I was in a car with our, our women's coach, Sue Navarro-Reaver. We were riding up this mountain and Lance, with all these cyclists, and Lance Armstrong came along. He was, I think, 14, 15, or 16 at the time. Talked with both of us, and he rode off, and Sue said to me, Andy, one day that kid's going to be a world champion. So she could see this when he was a teenager, and he wasn't doing anything illegal then. What do you think happened to him? Why do you think he got to the point where he did all this and then lied obsessively about it before he finally came clean? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Lance visited my, my class at the University of Colorado about a year and a half ago um, and, and was asked that exact same question. Um, and he told us a story about how he, when he went over, I think it was sponsored by Motorola to Europe, uh, not much older than, than the age you just described. Um, they went to Europe. They were clean. Uh, they were racing, um, and they were, they were getting destroyed. <laughs> right. Um, and, and because everyone else, um, the Europeans, were, were on drugs. And he said they started out saying, well, you know, those, those crazy cheaters, uh, we don't want any part of that. And he said the next year um, they were right there with them. And I think the, the, the Armstrong story is really important because it tells us that um, uh, in cycling, and I think this is true more broadly, we can talk about that, um, there wasn't much chance of getting caught. Um, certainly back in the, the, the days of, um, of heavy doping in the, in the 90s with EPO uh, in the 2000s. Um, so if, if everyone in the Peloton was doping um, and the uh, authorities had no power to enforce the, the rules, um, then the incentive structure was 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 really warped, um, and still to this day, many cyclists say, you know, Lance Armstrong won everything fair and square because everyone was doping, so it was a level playing field. It, well, yeah, uh, and having sure I, I, yeah, yeah, having been the team psychologist with the uh, U.S. Cycling Federation and the Olympic team from 1982 to 1988, I 
was very much exposed to all these things. And uh, we did blood doping yep. in the 84 Olympics. You know, we won nine medals, hadn't won any in 72 years. And half the guys on the team did it, half of them didn't. But it was legal at the time. The USOC knew what was going on. It was, we told them, our uh, head, head trainer and uh, manager, Ed Burke, told the USOC it was going on. They were aware of it. Um, so it was legal at the time. Now it's illegal. Um, but you're right, in cycling, when you when you talk to the European cyclists, I mean, they're always do the, the the reputation of everybody is everybody's doing something, so the pressure to win to keep up is there. So then you had to do it, or else you won't won't do that. But let's go let's go back to what what he said in that class. Did he express remorse about what he did, or did he did he feel like you know I had to do it, or I I would have never survived? Yeah, it was the latter. I mean, very much so. Um, he, he was remorseful. Um, very much about the, the way he treated people uh, and uh, being a, what he would call a, a bad person. Um, but uh, as far as the, the doping and breaking the rules, uh, I, I didn't hear any remorse. It was very much if I had to go back and do it all over again, uh, it was either that or, or stay in Texas is what he said. Yeah, so, you know, the, this issue comes down to this. Um, if you don't cheat, you don't succeed, so then you cheat. So... Why have rules in at all? You know, why do we have rules in sport? What do you What do you think the reason for that is? Yeah, it's a really good question because um, I'll give you a, a, an example. Um, in doping, uh, more recent than Lance Armstrong, uh, in 2011, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, uh, put together an expert panel to assess uh, the prevalence of doping, uh, the number of athletes who dope in track and field. Uh, this panel did their work, came up with a report, um, and shockingly discovered that uh, about 50%, one in two of elite track and field athletes were breaking the rules. Uh, WADA and the IAAF, the, the, the uh, organization that oversees track and field, refused to let them publish their study um, because they didn't want the world to know how many athletes were doping. So at the core of it, um, a lot of attention is focused on athletes and why they cheat. Um, but I think we have to take a step back and take a look at the bigger picture and look at the, the framework of rules we have in place and do the rules make sense and are the authorities actually enforcing the rules. Um, and if not, we can get a better sense of, of why sport the way it is the way it is. Um, that study was eventually published uh, just about a month ago, uh, and it's uh, remarkable because uh, the number of athletes that a lot of catches is less than 1%, and the, the evidence suggests that 50 times more uh, than that are actually doping. Uh, in elite track and field. You know, the issue of self-confidence is something I've worked with for years in my, my practice. The 36 years I've worked as a sports psychologist in Kansas City and with athletes around the country. And one of the things that I seem to encounter quite frequently is when I will talk with athletes about situations like this where they may have skirted the rules, it comes down to a confidence issue. They don't feel confident enough in who they are and what they're doing to win. And so they will go... And find a way to whether it's it's taking drugs or doing something against the rules to give themselves that edge. I had, I had a call on my uh, weekly radio show in Kansas City this past week about a youth soccer coach coaching a 14 and under team, playing a team where he he had a sense the kids in the other team were older. He ended up finding out the birth certificates in these kids. Several of them were 16, you know, and and his team got killed and consequently turned turned this other coach in. It was determined that. A number of he thought one kid had a, a one kid was older than fourteen and five of them were. You know what? Why does a youth sport, youth soccer coach, do that, Roger? What do you think? Yeah, you know, 
uh, it's not just youth sports. You know, the Chinese uh, gymnastics team in, uh, from 2000 to 2008 got into some trouble um, for falsifying birth certificates of, of athletes. Um, you know, just, just uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, uh, a Masters athlete in Europe uh, got caught using an electronic motor inside of a, a bicycle uh, in a, in a uh, competition for men over 50. Um, so we see that these incentives for, for cheating aren't just at the elite level. And uh, I'm no psychologist, but it sure makes sense that uh, at that level it's you know, vanity, glory, um, perhaps lack of self-confidence. Um, or, or just uh, you know showing off uh, in front of your friends, right? But but for uh, but a, for, for a youth sport coach, coaching twelve year old kids to you know cheat, to me that 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 just shows an insecurity with himself, a lack of lack of really a, a, a strong concept of of right and wrong. Because in essence, then you're telling the kids you're coaching it's okay to cheat, and then you're explain you're basically giving them permission then to go cheat. And I think a lot, and, what I, right. and, and see what I find is that a lot of people are afraid to call people out on this. A lot of people are afraid to call somebody out because they don't want to have to get you know, stuck in a hassle. I've, I've dealt with this for years in my office. I have people that come in and tell me all the time, well, we know these other kids are older. We know that you know, they're not supposed to be on the team. Well, and I'll say, well, why don't you say anything? Oh, Doc, I don't want to cause a controversy. And I have had coaches who have admitted to me, yeah, we, I've done stuff I shouldn't have done. Why? Well, we wanted to win. Well, why, was it, why did you have to win so badly that you break the rules? Because then you're teaching these kids the lesson that it's okay, then they're going to go on and do that. Are you finding that in the, in the work you're doing? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the, the one thing that seems clear, and we see this you know, throughout time and across sport at, at all levels, is that um, there are, for a range of reasons, uh, a lot of incentives for athletes to, to break the rules, to, to cheat. Um, and, what, you know, what that does is it makes sport impossible. Um, and, and by that I mean it, it takes the, the, you know, the framework of rules that we put together for competition and turns it into something else. Um, and so given that uh, athletes, coaches, administrators um, try to break – and let's be honest, it's not just in sport. You know, we, I see that in the classroom with – Students taking tests. Uh, we see that in business. Uh, well, it's everywhere. It's it's it's, it's part of our it's right. part of our society. It's everywhere. Right. But it's 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 especially pronounced in sports because, you know, sports now is, is it, 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 with social media and everything else. Everything we do is is on the internet. So whether whether it's a youth sport a youth soccer team at eight years of age or, you know, Lance Armstrong whoever you're going to find out about it somehow. Right. So the question is really you know given that people do have these incentives to cheat, what are we going to do about it? Um, and, and that's where I think the, the important questions are for sport. This is Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. And for more episodes on our show, go to WashingtonTimes.com. And if you're listening via Apple Podcasts and you like what we're doing, give us a review and a five-star rating. And wherever you listen, share this podcast on Twitter and Facebook. You know, Roger, one of the things that, that I've worked with so many people on is is this whole confidence thing and believing in yourself and then i'll talk to people about well doc you know we want to get an edge we want to get an advantage coming and talking to you is going to give us a mental edge okay so is it fair that you know i'm working with a high school golfer and the four other golfers on the team aren't aren't working with me does that give that person an edge is that breaking the rules no that's not breaking the rules there's nothing that says you can't go talk to a psychologist or go to a chiropractor or go get massages or things like that I mean, there are obviously things that are allowed that everybody doesn't do. But when it comes to certain things pertaining to drugs and, you know, t- 
teaching kids the right and wrong, what I'm finding is you've got a lot of parents, and if we, if we focus on the world of youth sports and high school sports, you have a lot of adults, parents, who are in it for their ego. And it, it becomes more about their ego. And so they will do things against the grain to give their team that advantage. And if it means breaking the rules, nobody, they think, oh, nobody will find out about this. They'll do it. But in the end, then they get found out. Where does that leave them? Yeah, I'm on the board of a local youth soccer organization, and I see many of those same behaviors uh, among parents. Um, and it's, you know, it's not clear to me whether it's the, the parent living vicariously through the youth to try to uh, recover, or, you know, lost glory from from their own younger years, or efforts to get a college scholarship, uh, or, or what it is. Um, but we're taking sport when we when we use children um, in that manner, and we're teaching them. Uh, what I would call the absolutely wrong lessons. Uh, we're teaching them uh, that it's okay to, to, to break the rules to get ahead. Um, and what does that tell the kid about what to do in the classroom or uh, in a professional setting uh, more broadly than sports? Well, that's so why that's sport has great power to teach teach children um, you know, a lot of positive lessons, but also negative ones as well. Well, that's why, Roger, in our book, we emphasize the importance of learning how to fail and making failure something you're not scared of or afraid of or, or, or intimidated by but accepting failure as part of what we do. I mean, I don't care what you do in life, what, what profession you're in, you're going to screw up, you're going to fail. Everybody does it. So how do you learn from that to grow from that and get better instead of finding ways to overcome it in a negative way? And, and I think that's the thing where with a lot of kids in youth sports, what I'm finding is they, they'll have coaches that when they fail, they will take them aside and talk to them and work with them, coach them on what they did wrong, what they need to do to make it better the next time. To not be scared of striking out, to not be scared of missing a putt or, or double faulting or, or false starting or whatever it is. You don't want to do it, but it's okay. And I think when that is coached in a positive way, I think people then don't have that fear and consequently their confidence gets higher. And I think then it becomes more focused. What I always tell people when I work with them, focus on your effort, not on the results. If you can concentrate on what you're doing, to make you better, you will accomplish your goals down the road. It doesn't mean you're going to win the championship, but if you keep getting better, that's what it's about. And I think if we focus more on that with young kids and youth coaches today, I think a lot of these problems would not be as severe as they are. I mean, let me get your opinion on that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it sure does. Um, and, you know, the, the lesson, what you just said, that uh, you, know, you, you do it right, you have self-confidence, you, you, you reach your potential, uh, doesn't mean you're going to win because there might be somebody who's bigger, who's stronger, who's faster. Um, and if they beat you, tip your hat to them and, and, and move on. Um, and it, it's the same in, uh, in the classroom, same in professional settings. So I think those are the important lessons uh, kids should be getting out of youth sports. Uh, and it's a shame that we don't always uh, <laughs> deliver those lessons. What are you finding in the work you've done and the interviews and talks you've given when you work with people who have admitted that they've cheated why, what was the main reason, and what did they learn from that, and how do they grow from that? Yeah, it's really interesting because there's, a, there's, there's an enormous range of, of both reasons and lessons. Um, just this past spring, we had the, um, the Stepanovs, uh, the Russian whistleblowers, uh, who really helped kick off the, the, the whole Russian doping scandal, um, had them come into my classroom and, and talk with, uh, with the students about why they engaged in the Russian doping program. And for them, uh, it was normal. 
it was uh, this is this is how uh, this is how elite track and field works in our country. They were told that everyone else, um, United States, in Europe, uh, everyone else around the world was doping, and this is just perfectly normal. Um, and it's only when they became uh, elite athletes that traveled around the world uh, and met other athletes that they learned that the, the these norms that they were following in Russia uh, weren't the same ones um, that they had been taught. Uh, and so they spoke out and uh, can no longer they live in the United States now can no longer return to Russia. So uh, for them, it's uh, you know profound life-altering changes. Um, I've talked to other elite athletes who who've made the decision consciously not to go down that path, um, and I I do hear um, questions on the other side. Uh, you know, what if I had done what everyone else did? Would I have been a gold medalist? Um, there are all these sort of what if questions I think that arise from paths not taken, um, and whether you decide to break the rules or, or not break the rules. So in the end, what do you think the main reason people cheat is? What's the, what's the, the bottom line rationale that they put in their head about why they end up cheating? Yeah, my sense in, in, in most cases it's a cost-benefit calculation um, where they calculate the, the, the potential um, positive benefits to them, so winning money, fame, um, material rewards, um, versus the potential downside, getting caught, being exposed, uh, sacrificing your values. And the way that, uh, that regimes of regulation in sport, um, whether it's for match-fixing or doping um, or running with uh, or, or riding a bike with a motor in it, um, the regimes often alter that cost-benefit calculus in such a way that, that the athlete in their entourage decides to cheat. So um, a lot of times we focus on the athlete and the morality of the athlete. Um, I'd say we have to pay just as much attention to the, the, the context in which they make decisions that, that lend them to a cost-benefit calculation that uh, leads so many athletes to, to break the rules. I, I agree. And, and like I said, I, I think in the end it comes down to a confidence thing, that you are not confident enough in yourself to do things the right way You've got to find a way to go around that because you don't feel good enough about who you are and what you're doing. And I think in the end that's why people cheat. I mean there's the financial incentives and the notoriety and the fame, but it still comes back to the confidence. If you, if you can't be confident doing things within the rules, doing it the right way, and you've got to go beyond the rules, of you know, do something against the rules, cheating, however you, that's defined, to me that, that says you're not secure with who you are and somewhere along the way, in the path to get to where you are, you were taught this is the only way you can get where you want to go. And I think that that's why, to me, it starts with young athletes and the impact and the effect we have as parents and adults teaching them about these things and teaching them that failure is part of life. It's going to happen and that it's okay not to be afraid of it and run from it and do things to try to not have that happen, deal with it, accept it, and learn from it and grow. And I think that will en enhance people down the road and then Hopefully they won't cheat nearly as much as a lot of people do today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Roger, thank you so much for joining us this morning. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you out in Colorado? Um, I'm easily found. Uh, last name is P as in Paul, I-E-L-K-E. -E. Google me, and uh, you'll, you'll, I'll come up. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. It's a great interview, great points, and uh, I'm definitely going to get your book. I'm interested in seeing what it has to say. Well, thank you very much. It's great chatting with you. Okay, have a great day. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and you've been listening to Sports Psychology Today with our interview with Roger Pelkey. Our show is produced in partnership with The Washington Times. For more episodes, go to thewashingtontimes.com. And for more information on our podcast, go to my website, which is winnersunlimited.com, or email me at drj at winnersunlimited.com. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Appreciate you listening. And however you're listening, please check in again soon for our latest episode.